Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about boron. <laughs> yes, I know. It may not seem like the most exciting topic ever, but I'll tell you what. Every crop's got to have some boron. And a lot of people fear boron. They hear things like, oh, boron is toxic and you don't want to put boron on your crop and you really got to watch it with boron. Now, I'm not saying um, you can just do whatever you want with boron, but we do want to talk about the importance of it in plants, how you can apply it, when you can apply it, and, and some of the things you can look at so you don't have to have all this fear and worry that boron's going to be harmful for your crop. Because when it's used right, it should be influencing your yield positively, not negatively. So anyway, we'll talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so just a couple of things to start with on this boron deal. It makes a lot of difference what your soil texture is and how much calcium you have in your soil. The heavier your soil and the more calcium you have, the more boron you can put out at any one point safely. If you have very light soil with very little calcium, then you can only put a small amount in comparison on the soil and have the same level of safety for your crop. So a lot of times what we're looking at on our farm, and this is something Rob Fritz, he's an agronomist, occasionally been on the show here with us. Um, This is something Rob started talking to me about, I don't know, a year or two ago, like a thousand parts of calcium to one part of boron. And so we've kind of tested that a little bit on our farm. And granted, we haven't tested it long, but I think that looks pretty good to me. So in other words, we've got a bunch of soils that have 5,000 parts per million of calcium. So what I'm saying is we could go to five parts per million of boron and feel pretty comfortable. And we have done that in some cases, and it's been fine. Haven't seen any negative impact on whatever crop it is that we've raised out there. So if, let's say, for example, you had a 1,000 parts per million of calcium is all, well, then we're, we're maybe talking one part per million of boron, which to me is a little concerning because we want decent levels of boron in our plant ultimately. And when we talk soil levels here on the show, quite often, you might hear us say things like four to 8% base saturation potassium. And like I was just saying a minute ago, I mean, we have as high as five parts per million of boron in some of our ground. A lot, it's two or three parts per million. But when you hear things like that, you start, I, I think for all of us as farmers, we start thinking, oh, there's a soil level I have to hit. Well, ultimately, All we care about is that the plant gets fed. So it's not necessarily what that soil level is. It's what gets into the plant. And so that's why it's going to vary what your soil level should be depending on the soil type you have and texture. So again, lighter soil, you just flat out can't hold as much. Heavy soil, your soil can hold a tremendous amount. So that's why for those of us who have heavy soil... It gets expensive if we want to fix the soil and get things in ratio and all that. Now, the good news is it's harder to screw it up. It takes a lot longer to screw it up. 
and to maintain it, um, that's a whole different deal, and it's really not too bad because we don't have to worry as much about, let's say, boron leaching. Boron is leachable, but it leaches at a much slower pace than what nitrate does. So like in our soil where we're frozen for probably five months out of the year, sometimes more, uh, and we get very little rainfall in our heavy soils, we just we don't lose boron very easily at all. Whereas if you had pure sand and lots of rain and you never freeze, well, then you got to continue spoon feeding boron as you go. So anyway, we'll talk more about boron as we go throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, first question comes in from SJ, and we talk a lot about planting corn early, but he said, is it good to plant your corn in dry soil, or what type of soil conditions do you really like to know it's time to plant the corn? Well, dry is going to mean something different to everybody. We want to have some moisture in the ground. And so let me just give you a quick example on our own farm. What we are typically waiting for is we want that soil to be what we call dry in order to go plant because we don't want to, as we term it, mud the crop in. That's not good. If we are going along and we open up a V trench and that V trench remains open <laughs> and we can't close it up because it's so muddy and sticky, uh, we got a problem. It's, it's too wet for us to be out there. On the other hand, over the last couple of years, we've been in a drought area. So I, it wasn't so bad this spring, but the spring before, so spring of 2021, I mean, we had to go down to three inches deep to find some moisture. We were bone dry in the top two, two and a half inches. So we planted a little bit deeper in some spots than we normally would because we were so dry and we wanted to hit a little bit of moisture. So yes, a little moisture is good, uh, complete dry, not good, but we want it dry to some degree. Okay. That was a fantastic explanation, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, quick one for you then on weed control. Uh, this one comes in from Casey. I'm taking on some new ground. The current operator has really oversprayed the field edges, and they're covered with wormwood. Just wondering what some options would be. It's going to be corn and soybeans next year. Okay, biennial wormwood sage, I assume, is what we're talking about here. Uh, or is it straight wormwood? Well... I don't, I don't know, but I'll just put it this way. Biennial is, is probably what we're talking about here. Um, a lot of times these wormwood type species are biennials, but um, you want to hit it hard with either a high dose of Roundup. You could certainly do a 2,4-D or a uh, uh, dicamba if you wanted to. So those products all work pretty well. There are burn down options that aren't bad either, whether it's Valor Authority, Sharpen, um, Germoxone. I mean, you, you have lots of choices. So anyway, depends on what you're going, corn or soybeans. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay. Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. 
I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio today. Got an interesting topic for you on fertility. We're talking boron today, and at the Ag PhD Field Day, in a session that I was in, uh, somebody referred to Chad Henderson from Alabama as using as a guy who uses boron uh, like candy for his crops. He's putting it out there all the time. Is that accurate, Chad? <laughs> I guess it is. They give me a hard time about it, but I guess it's pretty accurate. Okay, we, we hear this quite a bit, though, and, and this really depends on where you're at and what kind of soils you have and what crops you're growing, where in some areas guys are using boron multiple times through the season, and then you've got guys like my brother here who said, you know, we got heavy soils, it's frozen half the year, and uh, we don't get much rain, so our boron sticks around, so we can put it on sometimes just once per year and do a really good job. Why is it different where you're at, Chad? Uh, because my my ground is like I'm pointing through a screen door, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it just it gets away from us in a hurry, and and I've tried a lot of approaches with it. You know, far as putting it in a tube of two, you know, we never want to put it in fur. So putting it in the tube of two, and then we when we put it out with our first herbicide, you know. So when now we just do all the above, you know, because it's it's I guess the second most leachable, you know, behind nitrogen or sulfur, and so. He just gets away from it, man. It's easier to maintain a level than it is try to go get a level, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. You don't want to get behind on any of these nutrients. <laughs> it's so hard and so expensive to try to, to make it up later. Yeah. You know, we hear a lot about uh, on wheat, we see the bottom of that wheat head, that if those kernels are shriveling up and we're losing those bottom kernels on a wheat head, we're short of boron. Or if we're, if we're uh, tipping back on the corn, we're short of boron. Yep. What have you seen? When you dial the boron in right, is that what you found to be true? Yeah, that is. That is. You know, it's all about the pollination part, you know. So when we'll come in there and we'll run a number up, even at planting or other times at herbicide, you know, we're just trying to keep a number there. And on our farm, we're trying to keep a number there. And then when it goes into the pollination ahead of that, if we're going to do a V10 spraying or even, like I said, in the herbicide or the wide drop, you know, the perfect time to just where you can stick it to the ground, then we'll put a good slug out, you know, to run that number up to where you have ample ample pollination, you know, and that's what it's all about. 
Now, you mentioned a couple things there, just some timings that you were throwing out for putting boron on. Is that going out through a pivot? Are you putting it out through the sprayer more times than not? What What would you say, a little bit of everything? Well, yep, every time we go out with a sprayer, because like I said with ours, we'll put out a pint to a quart every time we go out with a sprayer. And then, like I said, we'll have a little bit in the planter, then we're going to put it in the sprayer with a herbicide. And, you know, it's a sticky agent as well, you know, and helps things move. And then we'll come back with our wide droppings when we put our pretty good load down. It does well with a nitrogen. You know, we're putting out 28%. And, and, but, but every application we go out with, even our fungicides, you know, and all the fungicides too, we'll have it in it just trying to maintain the levels that we need. Now, you mentioned keeping a number, and I know Brandon and I have done a lot of tissue sampling over the years, <laughs> and, and we see those numbers going up and down. Often with a boron application, we can keep it up for a couple of weeks, and then we've yeah. got new growth, and, and we just run out of gas, and it's looking like we need some more. Is, is that what you're talking Are you looking at, at uh, sap testing? Are you looking at tissue testing, or are you just looking at soil testing? Tissue testing. You know, we're looking at tissue samples, you know, is what we're looking at. And we'll want to, you know, and we're not talking about running the number way up. You know, on our farm, it's hard to hold it up there in the double digits, you know, the 20s and 30s, like you hear people talk about how can get it up there. Um, mine is, you know, I'm going to hold it in those teens to the 20 and hold it in that range is where is where we have the best luck of working with ROI and affordability and then passes as well. You know, you can only put out so much foliar. So, you know, you get over, I, if I get over much over a quart at a time of 10% or any other than I try to get some burn, you know, so you got to be real careful with what you're, you know, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to apply. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's just so many things. And I know a lot of this ends up being trial and error of what works in my area on my crops with, with my balance of fertility I got, but uh, we're talking with Chad Henderson here who farms down in Alabama, works with the extreme ag group. And Chad's been really kind on our show and at our field day to talk to other growers about, Hey, what are some of the mistakes? What are some of the successes? And, and how can you, can you look at all that and try to make a good plan for your farm? Hey, Chad, uh, we really appreciate having you on once again today, talking a little about your favorite nutrient, probably boron, or at least yeah. maybe one that just costs you a well, lot of money. So it looks like it's your favorite. Well, it's, it's one that has beaten me a bunch of times. It's like boron eight, Chad two. <laughs> I love it. Well, you got to keep scoring. There's no doubt about that to try That's to get right. better. Right. Hey, hey, Chad, uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. You bet. Uh, let's head out to California. We've got Bo Shropshire with us right now. He's a soil and agricultural production consultant there. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, Darren? Not too bad. You know, you hear about Alabama and uh, a high-yielding corn farmer. Uh, how about out in California? What What's the word with boron? Well, boron is, is so important for flower initiation. I mean, one of the things that, that we do here, uh, you know, we don't grow a lot of corn here. We do grow some sweet corn, which makes a big difference when you're taking that thing to market and you don't have, you know, full kernels to the end. So we pay attention to, to the boron in those situations. And then, you know, with, um, you know, crops like alfalfa seed, which we have a lot of alfalfa seed in Imperial Valley, you know, you want to keep that boron uh, up. In most instances, you know, our soil levels are anywhere from one to as high sometimes as three. There's no, We've had a few occasional deals where it was up at nine or something, but that's the that's the extreme, but normally we, you know, we're trying to get at least point point eight, uh, you know, parts per million of boron in the soil, 
And if we're down there low, like 0.8 or, or you know, say 1, 1, 2, we're going to pay attention to that flowering state of the plant. What It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's alfalfa, whether it's uh, melons, uh, if we're growing broccoli seed, uh, onion seed, all those, you know, especially those seed crops, we want to make sure that we've got good boron levels. Yeah, I, I think there's several crops there that you mentioned that I know are real hot buttons for boron where we get a lot of growers talking about getting those boron levels up. You mentioned some of those higher soil boron levels. What does it take to hold that? Obviously, you got some areas that don't get much rainfall there, and I know when we're dry, we do a better job holding. We also have been trying to build organic matter. Are, are those your main strategies for holding it, or is there something else? Yeah, normally, normally if you're able to increase your organic matter at all, and and of course, depending on what the the CEC or the TEC of the ground is, I mean, you know, we a lot of our soils here will be anywhere from our light soils here are like a ten, okay, which obviously that's not very that's not very light soil, but you know, we'll have stuff down around ten, but we have stuff up to you know between thirty thirty five. So there's lots of times some of those heavy soils like that, if if they're already up there to ways. You don't have to worry about holding boron. Um, biggest thing is, is if you get a little high, because obviously boron can be toxic on, on quite a few different plants. You you know may pay attention, great pay attention to the, the calcium levels, and uh, as you get your calcium levels up, um, you know it'll make a big difference on how that boron sticks around. I mean I, that's on the stuff that I had some organic uh, leafy greens that we had a a boron level of, of uh, nine parts per million, well, that would normally be toxic, but the fact is that we were growing that plant only up to about 10 or 11 inches, and then we would mow it off. So it never actually was able enough to pull up enough boron to be toxic. But by the time we got our the calcium levels up in the uh, high 60s, low 70s, that uh, boron started to leach and got out of the way, and we were able to take that to a two and a half and three in about maybe Oh, probably 10, 12 months. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you mentioned the uh, flower initiation, uh, filling out ears, lots of important things here with boron that, that we need to keep an eye on, and then also certain times of the growing season we need to watch and make sure we've got plenty of that important nutrient. We're talking with Bo Shropshire here out in California who works with a lot of different crops out there. So uh, it's kind of one of our go-to guys on what? some of these fertility topics. One of the things that we look at too, you know, you know, we've we've got uh, a few situations in citrus. Well, uh, it's an interesting deal. You can kind of reduce some of your insect population problems if you push your boron levels up to the to the to the high side. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I know uh, Neil Kinsey talks about two different weeds. If you've got uh, nutrients in balance, how you can fend off a number of different weeds just by getting the soil healthy and the crop healthy too. Hey, Bo, we got to run, but thanks for being on again. We really appreciate having you. Stay tuned. We'll talk more boron after this. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target.
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. talking boron on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can email us radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Alan Perry on with us right now with the Farm Technologies Network out in Maine. But of course, Alan works with growers uh, all across the country and literally around the world. Alan, thanks for joining us. Hey guys, how are you? Well, we're doing pretty good. This boron nutrient is a little tricky, and we get a lot of questions around it. What are the important things we should know about boron, Alan? Well, uh, one thing that uh, isn't discussed a lot, for those people that are a little bit concerned about supply chain issues lately, uh, it's nice to know that the United States has one of the few boron sources of the world right in California. So it is a homegrown product. That's uh, super nice to have. Um, but it's a water-soluble element. And so um, east of the Mississippi River, you're very likely to be boron deficient. And as you go further west of the Mississippi, closer to California, your boron levels probably get high. In California, they could be high enough to actually kill some of the tree crops there. So it is certainly something that needs to be managed. 
Brian was talking about this earlier on our farm, Alan, and we've we've uh, noticed when we've got more calcium, we can handle more boron in the soil. But do we necessarily need higher boron levels in calcium? Is there a, a ratio there that we should be thinking about? Um, we use our soil test as our measuring device, and I wished I could say all soil tests use the same scale but just like we have celsius and fahrenheit on thermometers uh, not all soil tests measure the same way but on our kinsey albrecht soil test we would like our boron levels to be one and a half to two parts per million Uh, below 0.8 parts per million we start to see visual symptoms that uh, lower the value of the crop all right um you know, you think about this boron nutrient, and we see it's it's really important around flower initiation. Does that necessarily mean we need a mid-season application, or can a soil-applied solution or building up soil levels work even in drier climates? What, what happens is it depends on where you're starting from. If your levels are already 1.5 uh, parts per million, you're not going to have a lot of pressure during the season. But if you happen to be farming in northern Maine and you're starting with a 0.5 parts per million uh, and you're desperate to get to 0.8 for potatoes, uh, you probably can't do it quickly enough with a soil application by itself. So we will help those cases. Or if we think that weather or crop development's not quite where we want it, we might use it as foliar. When we look at uh, those foliar options, they're not cheap, Alan. That's why I like that's why I like the soil applied options. I can put a lot more pounds out there for for less money. Is one source better than the other necessarily? Well, uh, if you're an organic grower, it's one of the elements that is a, is allowed for organic farming. So you are in play as well. There's three or four different forms of boron that are commercially available. Uh, I can make use of any of them, but the amount of boron in one material versus the other is different, so you have to change the rates. But uh, borate is one of the cheaper elements, at least for us. Um, solubor is the common one mixed in water for foliar, but uh, borax for the organic growers, and there's a, a couple others out of South America that are a little bit different, but still uh, boron is mostly boron either way. All right, Brian was talking earlier about toxicity, and we happened to talk to Bo Shropshire, too, and he said if you've got enough calcium out there, uh, to some degree anyway, you can lower that toxicity. Is there anything else we should be watching on the soil test to know, hey, is it safe to push this boron a little bit more than in other areas? Well, uh, the, the thing that is most paired with boron as far as crop production is potassium, and so if you uh, or you happen to be in California, uh, we have some growers there where our potassium levels are 1% instead of 5 or 6 like we wish for, uh, and the boron levels are 3 and 4 parts per million instead of 2, um, there is a benefit to trying to get that potassium level up to kind of match the boron better. You can use some of the boron so it isn't quite so toxic. But, but like Bo said, calcium is your best friend in that equation. So this time of year, Alan, you got a lot of different crops that are uh, that are being made. You got some harvest getting done. What are you working on right now? Is there a certain area of the country that you're in a lot, or or a certain crop you're working on? Well, um, we are um, working on onions and garlic in California. We are working on uh, some grain crops, canola up in Canada, and then our main crops, potatoes. Uh, 
uh, grains, oats, and barley. But we also have our Ukrainian friends. We have eight farms over there we're working with right now. Um, lead poisoning is one of the issues that they are dealing with over there. Uh, it's hard to drive a tractor with uh, war, war gear on. Um, but they are hanging in there and working away, and we wish them well. We're trying to harvest potatoes there right now. So um, all in all, things are pretty good. But this is the time of year when you, you mentioned flowering. When the crop starts to flower, that's often when it starts to work the hardest to produce the fruit or the tuber or whatever the crop is. Um, a little extra with the foliar uh, can be a big help at that time to avoid diseases. Well, this is certainly when the wheels can fall off on a crop. No doubt about that. A lot of stress right now as they're trying to uh, produce whatever fruit they're they're trying to make. Uh, when you think about that, is it tissue sampling at this time, Alan, or how do you kind of keep an eye on things? Well, we put a lot of weight. We have a lot of confidence in our soil test, which we can do, uh, you know, three, four, five, six months before planting the crop. So that's a good first step. Uh, and we use uh, a sap analysis is what we are liking better all the time as we learn how to use it. It allows us to collect sap from the plant, both the old leaves and the new leaves. And so we can compare one with the other. Gives us a heads up on if we're running out of magnesium, the low leaves will start to uh, levels will decrease. Uh, we might see that before symptoms develop. If you wait until you see symptoms, you're almost too late to get the effect you want. Yeah, it's it's a tricky little thing measuring nutrients, but I sure love having these measurements, like you say, as we get used to how to deal with them and, and what's going to trigger an application, those types of things. It, it just takes a little time and a little bit of practice and, and some expert advice from, from our friends like Alan Perry with the Farm Technologies Network. Alan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. We always learn something. One thing that growers need to do is learn to read your crop. The crop's trying to tell you what it wants if you can just figure out what the symptoms look like. Yeah, yeah, that's a great tip. No doubt about that. You got to be out there. You got to be looking at things and and making some comparisons. No doubt about it. Hey, Al, thanks. We really appreciate it. Glad to help when we can. Thanks. You bet. All right, Brian, a lot of stuff there on boron. Do you want to talk a little more boron? Or do you want to jump into some of these questions? Well, I would just say with boron, I would encourage people number one, don't be afraid. Two, start slow, be careful with it. Three, learn a little bit more about boron and why you would want to do it, when you would want to do it, and what the least expensive way is to do it, but yet what's going to give you the best return. So what I mean by that is could you throw some dry out there that sounds cheap up front? It's worked for us to build our soil, but if I need a quick response and I want to do something foliar and liquid, yeah, it's going to cost a little bit more money, but if I get a good return on investment, who cares if it costs a little bit more money? So anyway, just some things for you to think about there. Yeah, certainly a, a lot going on with this nutrient. All right, Brian, uh, had a number of questions that have come in here, and I'll, I'll get to, we got a couple different ones from Nelson, but he said, first of all, I uh, uh, just wanted to, to tell you guys, really appreciate it coming to the field day this year, really enjoyed it. Uh, I saw uh, my wife and my little boy were in your commercial for this year's field day, which was super cool. I got some questions and, and phone, or I'm sorry, I got some phone calls from neighbors telling me they were on TV and we thought that was pretty neat. Uh, he said, uh, got several questions for you around growing oats. Happened to see Glenn's, uh, field day video talking about the yield of the oats in the parking lot. And that was quite impressive. 
my situation, I'll, I'll lay it out here and you can answer after the break. He said, my question is, I'm going to grow oats for hay in a rotation behind cotton and before sunflowers. Now, the oats are going to go on some semi-irrigated ground that we're going to take some soil samples on this fall. So just looking for herbicide plants and fertility to try to get oats that can yield like yours. All right, Nelson, we'll get to your question and we'll get to uh, other questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Stay tuned. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Labeled for field corn and seed corn, Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. That proven chemistry makes it an excellent fit in integrated pest management and insect resistance management programs. And with less effect on beneficials than many traditional chemistries, Steward EC Insecticide reduces your risk of creating other pest issues like flaring spider mites. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Stop wasting time and money with obsolete adjuvants and foliar fertilizers. High-yielding crops require high-performing multifunctional products like the Fulltech Adjuvant Cube and Impulse from Spraytech. Contact your local retailer or visit spraytech.com for more information. Conditioning low moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. Make 13% beans possible with 13% off all end zone bend systems from FarmShop MFG. Sale in soon, so go to FarmShopMFG.com to order today. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, 
radio at agphd.com. That's what Nelson did. Uh, he said, all right, guys, uh, I'm going to put some oats in between cotton and be- or after cotton and before sunflowers. Uh, I've got some irrigation. I'm going to pull some soil samples here later this fall, but I'm looking for a herbicide plant and just fertility. And what's confusing to me, I looked at the fertilizer removal app for oats, but I don't know how to adjust since I want to take the oats for hay. Now, the previous crop was wheat that I harvested this summer, and the main weed pressure coming out of that was kochia, pigweed, and volunteer wheat. I'm located in the Oklahoma Panhandle at 3,300 feet elevation. Okay, we got nothing to kill wheat. Nothing for volunteer wheat. Yeah, other than a burn down beforehand. Right, and so you want to make sure you're doing a good job with that. Now, hopefully, you've got that all out of there because your last crop was cotton. But anyway, I... Kochia and pigweed, super bad problems. Here's what you're going to want to do. Sharpen. Two ounces. It's got to be pre-emerge. You can incorporate it if you would like, or you could leave it on the soil surface. Great broadleaf control for one to two months. Then post-emerge, you're probably going to want to follow, uh, well, it, it, it. let's put it this way. It's tough. If I didn't have sunflowers coming next, I would put mesotrione or callisto out there pre Preferably. Now you can go post, but pre is the safer way for the oats. So honestly, you could go Callisto sharpen pre. But you're coming back with sunflowers. You can't right. That's what I'm saying. You can't do the Callisto at all because of the sunflowers. So my my concern here is post emerge, let me just run through your options. You got Bucktrail, Harmony Extra, Stinger, Starring, Wide Match, that's Stinger plus Starring, MCP Amine, MCP Ester. Uh, curtail M, which is basically Stinger plus MCP ester. So if I start thinking about pigweed species, none of those are going to be good. The best thing would probably be the MCP amine or ester, which I really hate to use because it can be a little bit hard on the oats, but that's about all you got. So that's why it is so important for you to get that sharpen out there. And also, if it turns out to be a disaster, the next time you go oats, you might have to say, you know, I got to come back with a different crop other than sunflowers later so I can use the Callisto in addition to the Sharpen and hold back those weeds. Now, the good news here is oats will usually choke out a lot of weeds if you get a good stand going. So what I would encourage you to look at with that Ag PhD fertilizer removal app is just take an estimate in terms of, well, what do you think you would raise for bushels out there and then calculate from there what you what you need for for fertility but i'm just trying to say i know you're going to take it for hay but you still need to come back to well how many bushels do you think you would be producing and and kind of go from there so with oats we worry about lodging so you can do something like palisade the growth regulator to keep the oats shorter you have to spray it relatively early just look on the label and it'll it'll tell you so we've done that that does help keep it shorter Uh, we've gone to planting a thinner rate i don't love that that didn't really help our yield that helped uh reducing lodging issues of course but uh, when it it's a negative on yield i I hate to do that so the other thing you got to look at is how much potassium is in your soil you have to get lots of k in the plant so you have a good stock and you don't have as much lodging problem there so those are just my general tips 
All right, Brian, get this from Billy up in Canada, I'm guessing. He said, I, I wanted to wait, know- Wait, wait, you're guessing Canada? Well, because of his question. <laughs> he okay. does, doesn't say where he's from, but he said, I was emailing to see what your opinion is on the Canadian government's plan to reduce nitrogen fertilizer by 30% uh, by 2030 to meet climate targets. I know other countries have done this around the world as well. Okay, so I- I know nothing about this other than what I've looked up in the last 30 seconds. And, so, and Brian please, doesn't care about politics either, so just I hate understand politics. that. So I don't know what the details of that are, so I will apologize if I get the details wrong. What I'm reading here and what I see is it says Canada plans to reduce 30% of its fertilizer use. So to me, that means something totally different than reducing 30% of the nitrogen use. So I don't know if we're just talking nitrogen or other nutrients, but let me say this. The reason why they're doing this is because they believe that that could reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I don't understand that because I know this. The only way that you can truly reduce the carbon dioxide in the air is you got to have more plants breathing more of that carbon dioxide in. Plants breathe carbon dioxide in. They emit oxygen. Both things are great. So I love that. But let me just ask you this. If I've got, and I'll just use corn, well, let's use wheat as an example. If I've got 100 bushel wheat, is that going to pull more carbon dioxide out of the air? Or is 70 bushel wheat going to do it? You see where I'm going with this. If we cut back our fertilizer and all of a sudden our yields go down, well, I mean, the good news for all of us farmers is if every country around the world did this, I'm perfectly fine with that because, yeah, we're going to raise less, but our price is going to be sky high. So we may make more money if everybody actually followed that. The problem is a lot of countries, I'm sure, won't. But I'm, I'm just trying to say here, if you cut back fertilizer use, well, you're defeating the whole purpose of having the plants out there. They're going to bring in less carbon dioxide. I, I don't I don't understand. So maybe somebody can explain that to me, how we're going to reduce our yields and we're somehow going to reduce carbon dioxide in the air. That, that You can't have both. So I don't get it. Oh, let me say one other thing. If we, if we want to reduce total carbon, then that means you have to build soil organic matter. That will store or sequester carbon in the soil. So adding more organic matter, at least, you know, to a point, is fantastic for soils. So the way I look at a lot of this whole carbon thing is people want to pay us as farmers to do practices to build our soil up, which is going to make our soil better and hopefully our yields better. So most of the things I've seen so far are great. But when we start talking about cutting fertilizer use, that concerns me greatly. However, I will say this, most farmers I talk to anyway, aren't doing a lot for soil testing. And the more you do soil testing, just like we've gone to more and more and more on our farm, we're getting more precise with the fertilizer we're using. So in some cases, we've been able to cut back in areas that aren't producing the yield we want. And I'm talking down to small zones, you know, one acre grids. It's pretty awesome. So we can cut back in certain areas and pour the coals to it more in the, in the great areas and look at return on investment on almost a per acre basis. So there are ways to do things, but you start talking about 30% reduction by 2030. That's only eight years from now. 
that seems like a lofty goal. And if they mandate that, I can't imagine that yields aren't going to go down. Yeah, that's a tricky, uh, tricky thing. Um, thanks for the question. Or the yeah, thanks for the question. And I know we've seen this type of thing uh, elsewhere too around the world. So it's it's uh, definitely a discussion we're going to have to deal with here in the coming years. Yeah, and the other thing that I saw along with this and the tiny little bit of reading I've done in the last now four minutes on this. So again, I apologize. I I, I really didn't know what that they were doing this. Uh, or talking about this. But anyway, Canada net zero by 2050. So to get to net zero, I just want to remind everyone that wind wind power, uh, solar, batteries, none of those things are net zero. You can't get to net zero with those. You can get to net zero with biofuels though. And the only way you get there is by farmers actually building carbon dioxide in this, or I should say carbon in the soil. And what I mean by that is soil organic matter. So take a look at all these other sources of power that there are and the production, the maintenance, the disposal of those things, not very good for the environment. Whereas biofuels, pretty fantastic. So I, I, biofuels have to be the, at the forefront if we're truly serious about we want to get to net zero. Now, whether you believe we need to get to net zero or not, that's a whole other discussion. But I'm just saying biofuels should be an important part if we are trying to get there. All right, we're going to get to more of your questions and go back to the phone lines right after this. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. 
In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions here in the Martin studio throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we got Kim on right now in Wisconsin. Kim, thanks for calling in. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I was just checking to see, to get maybe some suggestions on what you guys might think. Um, this year, of course, because of the cost of the fertilizer is so crazy. They, well, I was working with our co-op office here and they told me I should probably wait to put anything on the field, uh, we have alfalfa mix, like alfalfa, brome. I believe there's uh, oats in there, too. It's, so it's not pure alfalfa for the hay field. But they said maybe wait until you get the first crop off and before you put um, harvest the second crop, then put your fertilizer on. But when I was listening to a couple of the shows, because they, they are pushing nitrogen, but I thought I heard you guys say that that might not be my best option. So I'm just looking to see if I should concentrate more on something else for fertilizer between crops, you know, like the potassium phosphate. Um, sure. That's kind of what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. How long are you planning to leave that stand out there? How long has it been out there already, and how many more years will you leave, will you leave that in until you reseed it, just out of curiosity? Well, the one... One field we just did like three years ago. We just re redid the field. Yep. Um, the second field, we're thinking we're going to have to do that probably in the next two years. Okay. Okay. The reason why I ask is as soon as you mentioned phosphorus, it 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 just it concerns me a little bit because phosphorus doesn't move very well in soil. You can add phosphorus anytime you would like, but if it doesn't get down in the ground very well, then it's hard for your crops to extract that phosphorus that you just spent a bunch of money on. And since P and K and nitrogen and just about everything is at about an all-time high price, you hate to spend money and then not get all of that money back out as quickly as you can. The other, the other big question I would have is what your soil levels are at now. And so if you ever want to take a soil test and send that to us, we'd be more than happy to take a look at that for you. Because by just making a blanket statement of, oh, yeah, throw P and K out there, well, I don't know what we're even dealing with, so that'd be a little bit irresponsible of me. I, I, I would kind of like to know what, what do we already have in that soil. But P and K are tremendously important, especially the potassium, when we start talking about crops like, like you are, and it's hay, because I assume you're going to take all that off. You're not just leaving it out there. You're either grazing it, uh, baling it, doing something, so it's leaving the field, correct? Yeah. Yes. yes, we're baling it. Yep. Yep. So when you do that, then 
you have just removed a whole bunch of potassium from that field. So over a period of time, then your K levels in the soil will start to go down. You're, you're mining it out. So your choice is, um, you said you're, you've got one that you might have to redo in a couple years. Okay, so like for us, we just put in alfalfa this year. We're only going to leave it out there for three years. But we basically put three years worth of phosphorus and potassium out up front, got it down into the ground. So it's where it needs to be. And now we don't have to worry about putting more P and K on over the next three years. Those nutrients don't move very well in soil, so that's why we like to have them out up front. If we can, if we can afford it and, you know, it all works, then that's what we prefer to do with that. When you have leachable nutrients, like you mentioned nitrogen, there's sulfur, there's boron, which was our topic on our show today. Those are leachable, and they'll move fairly easily through soil. So if you want to add any of those, at any point you can. I also don't know how much alfalfa is out there in relation to your brome and oats because the alfalfa will produce some nitrogen. So a lot of times that's why guys put alfalfa with the brome and oats so that to some degree gives you some nitrogen as you go. So if it's me, I'm probably still going to add some nitrogen um, and I might add a little bit, you know, just about every cutting. We go spray in between or at least apply something in between every single cutting we do. Not that you have to, but I'm just saying, yes, throwing a little bit of nitrogen out there is probably going to make some sense. And I don't even need to look at your soil test to tell you that. So a little nitrogen and a little sulfur, that's probably going to pay for you. Don't have to go overboard, but some. But then the, the P and K, that's where I get to the real question. I, I just, I don't know what you have in your soil. Okay. So if I'm looking at, you know, like when we redo this, uh, the other field, um, sure. um, and we didn't have real good luck when we reseeded the field that we just did, you know, cause we had a mix of, uh, alfalfa with the brome and the, the, um, oats. dry oat. Yep. But it, but I try to listen to your show every day so I can get ideas. <laughs> so is it better for me not to mix this dupe? We don't need the pure alfalfa, but would it be make more sense to plant alfalfa and not mix okay. it with anything else. All right. Well, there are a couple of conflicting things here. One, it's how do I raise the most tonnage out of each of these crops? But the other thing is if I truly want a mix, well, if I've got, let's say, 10 acres of alfalfa, 10 of brome and 10 of oats or rye, whatever, well, now I have to create my own mix every time. So I understand that that could be more work. I'm always looking at the, the the thing where I'm trying to maximize yield or tonnage. So that's why we will tell people we prefer to see your grass crop separate from your broadleaf crop. Put the alfalfa separate because then you can treat that alfalfa how it needs to be treated and treat the brome or the oats or the rye or whatever how it needs to be treated and in terms of weed control, everything. Because when you have a mix like that, we have almost nothing out there that we can use for weed control and it just it, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. So you can certainly do what you're doing and it can be pretty good. But if I truly, all I cared about was maximizing tonnage and I didn't care about my blend or, you know, mixing it all together or whatever other work there is, I just wanted to maximize tonnage of each crop, I would raise each crop totally separately. Then I can do a better job with the fertilizer, with the, uh, with the weed control, maybe even insects and things like that. Because there are certain insects that will just attack alfalfa and not bromer oats. Well, all of a sudden now you're spraying all the crops when maybe only technically one of the crops needed the insecticide treatment. So you kind of see where I'm going with that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you can do what you're doing if you want. Okay. Okay. Perfect. 
and then the the soil sample thing. So if I would, I should probably get a current one. I think it's been a couple of years since we did our last soil sample. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, and th- when when you do that, I would just encourage you to get a complete soil test, and I'd rather have it where let's say even you just take one spot in the field, you just drive out to that spot, you you just walk around your vehicle, pull 8 to 12 cores, throw it in a sample bag, send it in. So then we know, okay, in this spot, here's exactly where, how we're sitting. This is a, These are our fertility levels, everything else. Our concern is always when we're looking at composite samples where people will drive all across their fields, even big fields, and they mix all the samples together. Well, now we're just looking at maybe an average across the field, so we don't really know how we're doing. So if nothing else, I'd do one or two or three spots out in your field, just call it good, say, all right, well, this is my most productive spot, this is my least productive spot, or maybe this is my high ground, this is my low ground, something like that. So if you only want to do a couple, three tests, I'd do it that way. So like on our farm, we do one-acre soil tests, so we're, we're out sampling literally every acre. And I'm not saying you have to do that or anything, I'm just telling you what we do. Okay, perfect. That makes sense. Okay, great. Well, well, thank you for all for all the information. Yep. La- last thing on those soil tests, if you can get a complete test, so include the micronutrients, soil pH, base saturation, get everything, then that helps us a lot. Because sometimes there are just little things. Like today we were talking about boron. It's a micronutrient, and normally you would think, boron, no big deal. I'm much more worried about N, P, and K. But every once in a while we look at some soil tests and we go, oh, man, you have absolutely no boron or you have no copper or <laughs> it's something like that where all the other stuff was fine. What was that one little thing that only cost $5 to fix? And now that will really help things. So we just we, we like complete soil tests or, you know, complete soil analysis. Complete soil samples. Okay. Yep. Perfect. All right. Hey, thanks for the all call, right. Kim. Well, thank you so much. You bet. You bet. Have a good day. Yep. Good luck. <laughs> All right, Brian. Uh, I was I gave you a whole bunch of tissue tests and soil tests. I was going to go through them, but here's well, here's the long and the short of it. You know, when we talk about potassium, uh, a lot of times we talk about building up to certain levels in the soil. And I know when we look at plant tissue tests, it can really be deceiving when you only pull one per year. For example, in soybeans, it gets really tricky when you pull a soybean plant tissue test right at the beginning yep. of flowering. Nutrient levels are often high because the demand hasn't been that much, but now is the time where that plant's going to start using it up. So if you wait like a month when the beans are putting on tons of flowers, tons of pods, you see those numbers drop really quick. And we'll we'll talk about that here uh, when we get to these tests, hopefully tomorrow. But if you're pulling plant tissue tests, don't make too many judgments off of one test. Look at what's happening as a trend over the year and especially look during reproduction to see during those high demand times how the plant is doing. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Please be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.